1 Samuel chapter number 1. We were reading earlier, this, and I'm jumping in, y'all, so you can just, uh, we're, we're going to, like, like Pastor Josh Vandegraaff says, we're going to preach by the letter, meaning we're going to open up and let her fly. Uh, so, so it's 1 Samuel chapter number 1. He says in the Word of God that um, you, you notice in verse number 19, which is where we basically ended this morning, he says they rose up early in the morning and they worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And there's an important scripture, or the important phrase there that says they returned to their house at Ramah. And I didn't give Eli the, any of my notes tonight, so he's going to have to follow along. He may be just a smidge behind us, just so you know tonight. But I need you to understand that there was that the Bible is just telling us, and it told us actually earlier in the scriptures, I believe it was um, around verse number two or three, um, that, that Elkanah, the, the, the husband of the two wives that we talked about this morning, he, was, he lived in a place called Ramah. Amen? Not Ramah like the Ramah word that you would get, not R-H-E-M-A, but Ramah like R-A-M-A-H. Amen? But uh, he lived in this place called Ramah, and we talked about this morning, for, for, for you young at heart group, we talked about this morning that Hannah had to get to a place of desperation before she could receive in her spirit and let God begin to conceive in her the thing that she wanted most in life. You see, I need to, I need to submit to you today that she did not need a child. She did not have a need for a child, but there's something Something I didn't even mention this morning. I just heard the Holy Ghost say, but God needed a child. I need you to understand that she didn't need a child, but God needed a man that was going to raise up and be the voice of God to a nation. And, and so she didn't have need of a baby. She wanted a baby. But God said, look, I'm going to look. I hear, and, and, and the scripture says that the Spirit of God is going to and fro throughout the earth, seeking one that he can show himself mighty in. Do you know that's what the Scripture says tonight that he's a, that there's a spirit that's going to and fro, the spirit of God going to and fro throughout the earth, looking for somebody. The spirit of God. I need you to hear me, young people, tonight. That the spirit of God is going to and fro throughout the earth. He's right here, right now. He's come in to check on Awakening Church of God on Sunday evening and just say, "Is there anybody in there that I can show myself mighty through?" And he was looking down upon Hannah, and he said, "There." There's one person. Why was she one person? Because she was desperate. She got to a place where she couldn't take anything else. She said, what I want is more important than anything else in my life. Come the, the, the mockers and the scoffers can come. Peninnah, her, 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 her other, whatever you want to call it, sister wife, I guess it would be. Um, she would make fun of her and say, oh, you know, you're barren and I have children. But, but still, her husband gave her a double portion. And God even honored her, but he only honored her out of her barren out, out of her anguish and out of her effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much amen and the, I think it's funny that the scripture talks about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man and, and we're, we're in a day and age where we need to be politically correct and say a righteous person God created man both male and female I just want to put that out there that's what the scripture says he created man and he said then they created man in their image man both male and female so when I say man I'm talking to to, to both genders tonight amen and so uh Hannah 
was birthed something out of her out of her anguish and she birthed something that was bigger than she even had a, a knowledge of and we talked about this this morning hannah's birthing of samuel she just wanted a boy she just wanted a son. She said, God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you, and, and we're all good. So she had little expectation, but God said, no, and now I found somebody I can show myself mighty in, and so I'm going to give you more than just a son. I'm going to give you a voice to a nation. I'm going to give you the one who's going to anoint the next king of Israel. I'm going to give you the one that's going to hear my voice in the night and go running to Eli and say, was it you that called me? Three times he went. If you read the scripture, three times. Samuel went to Eli and he said you've called me and he said no I didn't call you and on the third time he went he said when you hear that voice again say yes what do you need Lord your servant is listening and he listened and God began to reveal prophecy to him began to speak to him you see Hannah gave birth to something that was bigger I believe in one sense of the word and this is a parallel that we're going to use tonight that she gave birth to something that was glorious she gave birth to a man who would walk in the glory and presence of the Lord. And there's a parallel tonight. I I said today that we are going to talk about bringing the glory back or bringing the glory home. But if you read over in this, I've got to hit this quickly, but if you go over to chapter number seven of, of Samuel, first Samuel, the Bible says in verse number 17 it talks it it goes on and and those all those chapters are about the 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 fall of the of the priesthood of eli and the raise up of samuel as the voice of god to the people but it says here in verse number 17 and his return it, it talks about let me let me lead up to this it talks about that samuel would go from this town to this town to this town to this town to judge all of israel he would he would go and he would judge israel and he would be the the right priest that would hear what they would have to say so he would go to places like bethel and he would go to places like shiloh and he would go to places like mizpah and he would go to gilgal and 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 he would go to these places and he would judge righteously but in verse number 17 it says, and his return was to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged Israel and built an altar unto the Lord. Why is that so significant? Because we talked about that Hannah this morning said, I've got to have something, and God, if you'll just give it to me, I'll give it back to you. She was ready. She said, God, the Lord giveth, and I'll give it back to you. She said, "She said, I will give him back to you completely 100%. But something powerful happened. God saw her obedience... And he allowed Samuel to be able to come right back to home. Do you understand that during the time that Samuel became priest, that his mama, Hannah, was still alive? And so she got to see the fulfillment of not only God's promise and her, man, her young son become a man of God, but he got to move back home. There's significance there because she was ready to just let him be a part of you. Just, God, you take him. And I'll, I don't care if I only just go get to see him once a year when I go make my sacrifice. That's fine. But, I, but you've promised him to me. You gave him to me. I bear you a son and I'm giving him back to you. But God saw her obedience and he said, I'm going to give you this glorious gift back. You see, the glory was able to return home. There's a parallel to this that I want to talk about tonight that's in the book of... First Chronicles chapter number 13. First Chronicles chapter number 13. And I done just messed up my other place and I'll have to find it in a little bit. 
But 1 Chronicles chapter number 13 says this. Now see, Samuel went on, and these are paralleling stories, so they don't have to, they don't have to be in relation to each other directly, but the, 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 the parallel of the glory coming back home is something similar to what David had to deal with. And this is one of Brother Dave's favorite narratives in all of the Scripture, uh, and I'm, I'm sad that he's not here tonight, so we, we, he, we'll have to make sure he gets the recording tonight. But, I'm, but, but what happened was he anointed David to be king of Israel, And then 13 years actually passed before David became king of Israel. Most of y'all don't know that, but when Samuel went and anointed David to be king, it actually took 13, it took took nearly seven years before he was ever king of Judah, and then it took six more years before he became king of all of Israel. And so right here we pick up on the story where David has just become the king over Israel. It was the, the first time he was really began to recognize that God is calling me to be king over a people. And so we read in verse number 1 of chapter 13, it says, And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and every leader. Verse number 2 says, And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seems good to you, that if it be the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brethren everywhere that are left in the land of Israel, and with them also the priests and the Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves together to us. And verse number 3 says this, And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we, have in, for we inquired not at all in the days of Saul. We inquired not at all in the days of Saul. I want to pause right there because that's what we're talking about tonight and give a word of prayer to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bless your word tonight. God, that you would help us to see how to bring the glory back home, how to bring the glory into the house and not leave it behind, not let it go, God, but to be carriers of your presence, carriers of your glory. In this place tonight, we thank you and give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And so the Bible says that... That David looked at the people and he said, if it seems good to you, then it's strange. I get to preach over here for once. This is where the crowd is. And so as he says, if it seems good to you, then let us go get the Ark of the Covenant. For you young people that don't know what the Ark of the Covenant of God was, it was a big, it was an altar. Let's just pretend right now that this altar and it's nearly about the same size it was quite taller but it was it was fully gold and then at the top of the altar was a was an area that was kind of like this that was a padded area it was called the mercy seat and in between the mer- on each end of the altar was a cherubim a type of angel and the wings of the angels actually came together and so there was a picture two angels um, sitting on top of this and inside this area, in, in between their wings, was the mercy seat of God. And that Ark of the Covenant represented the glory and presence of God. And the glory of presence of, and glory and presence of God, if you were to read back in those scriptures that I was talking about, of Eli losing his priesthood and that uh, Samuel took over for him, the reason that Eli actually died was he was sitting on a tree stump and he found out that the Philistines, because the children of Israel had taken the Ark of the Covenant out into battle, and so he found out that the Philistines had defeated the children of God and they took the Ark of the Covenant. And his two children died in that battle because they were the ones who took the Ark of the Covenant into battle when they didn't need it. Listen, they were trying to take the presence of God into battle, but they didn't know God. 
And so they, and, and so that he had already been prophesied that he was going to lose his sons. But what I find interesting, you should go back and read it, is he didn't even, he didn't bat an eye when he found out his sons died. But when he found out the Ark of Covenant was gone, he fell backward off of his chair and, it, and, he, and he broke his neck and he died there. And after he broke his neck and he died there, his daughter-in-law, one of the wives of his sons, was giving birth to a baby. She died in the giving of the, uh, uh, right after she gave labor, uh, birth to the baby. And she called the baby's name uh, Ichabod. She said, call his name Ichabod, for the glory has left for the glory has departed. Call his name Ichabod. What did she say? She was saying when the Ark of the Covenant of God had left the children of Israel, that now the glory had departed. They had let it go. Now move fast forward just a little bit, and you get to a place where now Saul is king over Israel, and, and he, is, he has been king for several years. And the Bible says that Saul stood head and shoulders above all the rest of Israel. He was the biggest one around, and he was the hot shot. And he, but, but here's the thing. David says in this scripture let us bring again the ark of God for we inquired not at all about it in the days of Saul and so something profound is right there in the scripture uh, there's a couple things that we must know I got to get to my notes I've been preaching without notes all night the, 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 the first thing that we must recognize is that David recognized if you want to have glory in your life if you want to have the glory of God in your life we're talking about bringing the glory home we're talking about how do you bring the glory home first thing that you have to do is recognize that you need the glory in your life I don't know how many church folks are walking around and y'all are quiet as crickets tonight. But I don't know how many church folks are walking around. I don't know how many young people are walking around saying, you know what, I'm good without the glory. I'm good. I'm telling you there are, I'm telling you there are hundreds of thousands and millions of church people that are saying, I'm good without the presence of God. I'm good without, how do I know that? Because they don't worry about whether or not they got the presence of God with them in any way, shape, or form. They don't inquire about the presence of God in their life. They don't care about the glory of God. If I were to ask you young people, I'm not trying to beat up on you tonight, but if, and, and let's just go ahead and take it a step farther. If I was going to ask most church people and say, how do you feel about the glory of God in your life? They would look at me with like I had six heads. What do you, what do you mean the glory of God? I, don't, I know not what you speak of. You're talking a foreign language to me. I don't know what the glory of God is. I don't know why I need I don't have the glory of God. I don't need the glory of God in my life. If you're going to have the glory of God on your life, what is the glory of God? It's the presence of God. It's the thing that gives you the power. It's the presence and spirit of God working in you and through you and allowing you to be the Christian that God has called you to be. It's the power that you need to be able to fulfill what God's called you to do. And each and every one of you, if you've given your heart and life to Jesus, you've got a call on your life. You have a work that you need to do and God needs you to be able to do, but you can't do it without the presence and glory of God on your life. So why do we, so so the first thing that we got to do is we got to recognize that we need to bring the glory of God back home. So David recognized that he said, "Listen, first order of business. This is the first thing David does when he becomes king. It's not the second thing, it's not the third thing, it's not hey, I'll get to it next week. It's the very first thing David does as he becomes king is he says, hey, if it seems good to you and everybody else, why don't we go get the presence of God? Because we haven't even had the presence of God ever since Saul became king. So that tells me that Saul 
didn't even care about the presence of God. He trusted in himself. And listen, I need you to understand this too. Saul was one of the children of Israel. So in the representation of the story, Saul was one of God's people. So that tells me there are God's people running around that don't worry any bit about the presence of God. They're saying, I'll do it on my own. I can do it on my own. I can do it on my own. And where it gets you is death. Because we can't do it on our own. So, so then the very next thing is, how do I bring the glory back? And, the very, and so for that, we need, to, we need to just look a little bit farther in the Scripture. I'm going to turn, it's a little easier to read section of the Scripture in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 6. And I'm speeding through tonight. So I'm, I'm really hustling tonight, but I need you to get this. Chapter number 6 says this, and... Uh, it says, and David arose and went to all the people of Judah to bring up thence the ark of God, whose name was called by the name of the Lord of hosts, and dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart. I'm at the third verse of chapter number 6. It says, and they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah and Uzzah in Ohio. The sons of Abinadab drave the new cart. You see there, he's got it up on the scripture there, uh, that they put the ark of God on a new cart. So it's like, how do I get the glory of God? There's representation in the story. How do I get the glory of God back in my life? How do I get the, maybe you've never had it. How do I get the glory of God in my life? The first thing that you need to recognize, the best way to maybe answer that is how do I not get the glory of God in my life? And this is how you don't do it. You don't carry the glory of God on a new cart. What does that mean when he said, it says that, that they put, they brought a, uh, they set the ark of God upon a new cart. What's interesting about this part of the story is that the Philistines, they took the ark when they had it. They had taken it from that battle. They took it to this certain place, and I don't have time to go through all this in the scripture. But they took it to one. They they took it to one town. I believe it was um, Ashtera, and they took it there. And as they took it there, the the false god that they set it up beside fell on his face. And then the next night they came, and he fell on his face, and his arms were broke, and his head was broke off. And and you know God kept saying, "I'm not going to have another god around me, another little false god." And so they said, "Let's get this thing out of here." But but then as they were getting ready to get it out of there, all of a sudden they got they got attacked with a bunch of boils. The Bible calls them emeralds. And so they, they got, and so thousands of men got all these boils and, and, and bumps all over them. And, and I don't want to go in there. Y'all know that know the story. There's a, there's a graphic part of the story. And, but he, it goes from town to town to town. And it, there's this plague that falls on everybody. And so the Philistines said, you know what? We took this thing, but we don't want it because it's doing nothing but bringing us a curse. So they said, take it back to Israel. We don't even want that thing. So it went on the outskirts of Israel. It was sitting there at Abinadab's house, which was at the outskirts of Israel. And Abinadab was being blessed because it was there. And, and so, uh, so it, this is when David comes to get it. But what he does is when the presence of God had been gone for so long, they forgot how to carry the presence of God. So what I'm telling you tonight is when we lose the presence of God in our life, we can, and, and we let it go for so long, we can forget how to carry it. 
We can forget how to be carriers of the glory, how to be carriers of the presence of God. And so what David did is he, he did his best guess. I'm going to sit down for just a second. Now. He did his best guess, and he said, you know what? I'm going to carry the ark of God on a new cart. What I'm going to do, God, this is what I'm going to do for you, God. I'm going to build an awesome cart. It'd be like today we'd say, you know what, God? We're going to transfer your anointing. We're going to transfer your presence. And to do it, we're going to go out and buy you a fancy car. A big fancy GMC, you know, Yukon Denali truck. And it's going to have chrome, gold chrome rims. Gold chrome. Plated. <laughs> and and we're, you know, we're going to, we're just going to do this thing all up. And God, we're going to, you know, we're going to give you the best. And we're going to put that Ark of the Covenant in there and, and you know we're going to transfer it from here to here because we really want the presence of God and, you know David was actually he was earnest in his desire to have the presence of God in his life he really wanted the glory of God but what he didn't understand was he had forgotten how to carry the glory of God he was around enough to see it back when he was a kid you know we as church folks I can, I'm, I'm not that old but I remember seeing the glory of God but I also remember years and years without the glory. And we forget how to carry it. And so he put it on a new cart. So I don't have time to read it. If you want to follow along with me in your scripture, it's there in the book of Second uh, Samuel chapter number 6. And it says that they went to go get it. And Uzzah and Ohio drove the cart. Drove, you know, they drove the Yukon Denali with the gold plate of rims. And they, they took the cart and they got, and they they. they they're going along, and then they reach this place, the threshing floor. They reach this place. A threshing floor is a very flat surface, a rocky surface. And somehow the cart that they put it on, they, didn't, they weren't driving it in a you know, Yukon Denali. They were actually driving it with some oxen pulling it. But the oxen stumbled, and so then the cart fell. So when the cart fell, Uzzah, he says, Oh, my gosh, I can't let the glory of God touch the ground. And he reaches out his hand, a seemingly, you know, harmless thing to do. He reaches out the, his hand to try and catch it and stable the presence of God, and he falls dead. Aren't you glad that we don't get killed when we mess with the presence of God nowadays? You know, and I've heard a lot of speculation on why Uzzah died when he touched the, ground, uh, the, the cart. I heard one preacher say, you know, he died because he thought that his hand was holier than the ground it was about to fall on. But I would submit to you today that I believe that he died because they went about it the wrong way in the first place. That God never intended for his glory to be transferred on a new cart. You see, what's interesting about the new cart is that the Philistines had made a new cart when they took it away. So what does that tell me? How, how, how can we think as the church, my God, this is good, I've got to be able to get it across the world has taken the glory of God out of the church. What do I mean? I mean the church looks more and more like the world and less and less like God. I'm, I'm, i got to teach this just to be able to get it out the right way. But we, we have done more and more to be like the world. And so we've allowed the glory of God to leave the church. And, and when, the, when, when the devil took it out of the church, when the world system took it out of the church, they took it on a shiny new car. 
They took it on a shiny new system. Listen, if you'll just put the smoke and the lights in the sanctuary, if you'll just, you know, if you'll just do this program and you just do that program and you just, you know, you just put all the tongue talkers in the back room and you just, you know, you just, you, you know, you do away with that. We change our doctrine. We manipulate what we're doing and we, and we, we decide that we're going to just question God's word. And, you know, I know it says that he's against that, but we're going to go ahead and water it down a little bit and start re, uh, re, re uh, describing what the word of God and redefining what the word of God says. And all of a sudden the glory departs and you write Ichabod on the top of the house of the church. But what happened is we don't, what, what, what's, what's crazy is that when we want to go back and get the presence of God back into our church again, when we want to get the presence of God back into our life, we go using the same methods that it left with. Y'all understand what I'm trying to say is that we will, we, you know, we're like, hey, we lost the glory of God. So what we need to do is we need to turn up the lights and we need to turn up the smoke and we need to create this uh, facade and we need to, you know, do these different things. And, and we need to get louder and we need to provoke and we need to try and uh, create some kind of spectacle out of the church. And we try to get the glory of God back into church the same way that it was taken out of the church and it will not work. So we can't carry it on a new cart. That may have worked for the enemy to steal the glory of God, but you can't bring the glory of God back in on the same system that it went out in. Another thing that you can't do with the glory of God is you can't touch it. Uzzah figured that out. There's something about the glory of God that can rest on your life. I said this this morning when, I, when we were having this revival that lasted 10 weeks. I prayed every day. I said, God, all I want to do is be able to cradle this thing and nurture it but not touch it. How do I do that, God? Give me wisdom. How do I, how do I nurture this move of God that you seem to have put in my lap? How do I do that without touching it? Because we can't touch it. We can't touch it. When Uzzah touched the, the glory of God, he fell down dead. And, and, and God was not angry because he touched it. He was angry because they were doing it wrong in the first place. But listen, I'm telling you today that when we when you when you get the presence of God in your life, you've got to be careful not to touch it. How, what do I mean? I mean, that means you can't put your stamp on it. It means when God begins to do mighty things in your life, you don't get to take the credit for them anymore. When God begins to do him, when you reach out your hand and you lay hands on somebody and, go, and you see them healed, you don't go, man, look at what my hand just did. Look what I just did. And there's so many preachers today who get puffed up in themselves because of something that God is doing through the glory and His power. And it's not, it's not of their works, lest any man should boast. It's of the power. It's not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I'm telling you that when you get the glory of God on your life, you've got to protect it and not touch it. Then we gotta, we've got to go on, turn with me back to the book of First uh, Chronicles chapter number 15 because what happened in the story right there is that, that, uh, that when he fell down and dead, that David got upset and he said, man, I'm all messed up and I thought I could get the presence of God back and I really want to get it back, but I don't know how to do it. And so they left the, the, the presence of God at, at Obed-Edom's house and at Obed-Edom's house, he began to be blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. And so we pick up... Um, 
David goes home and, and he's, you know, he's in despair about it. He was fearful of God and he said, I don't know how to get the presence of God back. Uh, into the, but I need the presence of God in my life. And I know that I can't be the king. I can't be the leader that you've called me to be if I don't have the presence of God. And so David kind of finally hears from God. And in, verse, in chapter number 15 of First Chronicles, he says this in, cha- in verse number 2. He says, and David said, none ought to carry the ark of God. Matter of fact, back up to verse number one. Because here's the next thing you must do if you're going to have the glory of God in your life. And David made houses, himself houses in the city of David. And prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. What have you got to do if you're going to have the presence of God, the glory of God in your life? You've got to prepare a place for it. See, David couldn't get it back. David went out to get it, didn't even have a place to bring it to. How are you going to go get something? How are you going to go? How are you going to go buy a new bed for your bedroom, and you still got the old bed in there? You've got to you got to plan this out, and you've got to sanctify a place for it. You've got to you've got to put a place together for it. If you're going to have pre- the presence of God in your life, then you've got to make room for the presence of God. God doesn't want your leftover storage space. It has to be a place that's sanctified unto Him. And then, and then David goes on to say this. He says, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. It shouldn't be put on the, in a new cart. It shouldn't be dragged behind uh, some oxen. It needs to be carried on men's shoulders. That's the next thing. If you're going to have the, the presence of God on your life, then it's going to be carried on shoulders. When God said that this is the ark of the... Brother Jim, come here. Matter of fact, you, you two young men right there. Yep, you guys right there in the black church. Come up here. Come up here. Come on, it's all right. It's not an option. I'm not going to bite you. All right, you grab one corner of that, you grab this corner. No, like, okay, yeah, you can do that. Lift it up. All right, now now move to this. we got to illustrate this. All right. I'm going to make him do it for like a half hour. No, I'm kidding. Um, this is how, actually, there was, there was two rods going through the Ark of the Covenant, and the priests were supposed to carry it on their shoulders. All right, so you're going to have to think tall for a second because you're, you're, you're a little lower than him. All right, but, but here's what happened. I'm sure they're fine, Brother Jim. Um, even if they drop it, it's all right. Don't drop it. You got it? All right, good. All right, so this is how the presence of God was supposed to be carried. Now, I know that we're talking about the Spirit of God that is not a tangible, you know, visible thing that we see right now. But this is the same way God expects us to carry His presence in our life, His glory in our life. When you've got the presence of God in your life, imagine this being the presence of God, and, you know, only it's like this. Don't drop it, okay? It's, it's heavy, right? The presence of God. He said, no, nah, it ain't heavy. I'm just falling down. The presence of God. Don't leave it. The presence of God is awkward. Is that awkward? Do you feel awkward right now? No? Because I, I think your, your face says something different. 
Listen, it's awkward. It's heavy. You know what's funny about the presence of God? It doesn't fit in the most places. Can you imagine? Don't lose it. Can you imagine having to go in the grocery store like this? Walking through Walmart. You guys ever see those carts that have the the big poles sticking up so you can't get them out the door? That's like the presence of God. Only it's not the cart that won't let you out the door. It's the cart that won't let you in the door. The presence of God will stop you from being able to walk through certain doors. You see, if, you, if you're carrying the glory of God and the presence of God in your life, all of a sudden you can't take this thing, on, you can't take this thing out to the party and begin to drink and, and, and play all the drinking games and everything. This thing's awkward and you don't want to drop it because then you might die. So you gotta, you got to hold this thing up, and you can't just take this thing anyway. You can't take this thing over and, and, be, and be kissing on a girl. She's going to be like, what's on your shoulder, man? That's not a, that's a big earring. So you can't do that because the presence of God is heavy, and it's awkward, and it won't let you go into certain places. But it has to be carried upon our shoulders. God didn't say, I'll let, my, I'll let my glory dwell in your automobile. And I've come to tell you this tonight, that God didn't just say, I'll put my glory in the house. He said, I'll put my glory in the people, and they will fill the house, and my glory will be there. My, a house is just a house. You guys can set that down if you want to. Don't drop it. Ah, one job. Thank you, guys. Everybody give them a round of applause. You know something about the glory of God when you're carrying it on your shoulders like that. When you've got this glory of God and you, you know, you're, you're packing it around. You know, this is your glory. Carrying the glory of God. You know, when I'm packing this thing around, it's awkward. And all of a sudden I get around a group of people and they don't, you know, they don't know God. This thing, I start talking to them. This thing becomes like a helicopter. You know, they, nobody wants to be around me anymore. I can't, I can't fit through those doors that I used to walk through. I can't go to those places I used to go. It gets heavy. It gets awkward. But it's, we're carrying it. And this is how God intends for his glory. He didn't want it to be easy. And you know what else? It's not a part-time job. He didn't say, hey, carry my glory on, uh, on Sunday. He said, when you're going to carry my glory, you're going to have to carry it all the time. The Levites were appointed to carry the glory at all times. It would get heavy. It would wear you out. That's why you need people to come alongside you and say, I'll get in that glory with you. I'll carry that glory. I'll be a carrier of the glory with you. I'll help you out. We'll carry God's glory together. You see, it doesn't allow for days off. And this is, this is the last thing. How do we get the glory? We must always be aware of the glory. And let me tell you something. I just let this thing down. I'm going to pick it back up. I'm going to use the other hand. If you've got this thing on your shoulder, it's hard to forget that it's there. I mean, you may get pretty tough and pretty used to carrying the glory of God, but you're never going to forget that it's there. Every time you go to try and watch the TV, something's on you shouldn't be watching. The glory gets right in your way. 
how do you how do you get the glory in him? You got to be aware of the glory. You've got to be aware of the glory in your life. You can't just be nonchalant about the glory of God. You've got to always, always, always be aware. How, let's let's bring this full circle. Go back to the book of Second Samuel, chapter number six, where we started reading about David. This is how we know that he was aware of the glory of God. We're talking, these are the same stories paralleled in two different books. But in First Samuel, or 2 Samuel chapter number 6, the Bible says in verse number 12, you know, in verse number 13, and so, and it was so that when they bear the ark of the Lord and had gone six paces... He sacrificed oxen and fatling, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. So this is what would happen. This tells me that he was aware of the glory and presence of God. He had an awareness. Like before, he went and got it, threw it up on a new cart, thought it was going to be easy, said, I'm going to just take it. No, this time he said, no, i got to recognize something. And you know, what he did was he was carrying, here we go again, carrying this glory. He was carrying the glory, and the Bible says that he would go six paces, and he would stop. He had a long journey to go. Can you all imagine having to go from one side of Springfield to the other side? But this is how you were going to do it. You'd go one, two, three, four, five, six, and stop. Sacrifice an animal and dance and praise. Five, ten minutes, just dancing and praising. You'd, you, you done killed an animal, you sacrificed you're dancing, you're praising. All right, pick that Ark of the Covenant back up. Get that presence of God. We've got to get it back home. One, two, three, four, five, six. Put it down. Sacrifice another animal. Dance around. Praise God. Shout to Him. Say, we want your presence in our life. Do it again. Pick up that thing. One, two, three, Four, five, six, stop, put it down, sacrifice another animal, dance, praise, carry, love God, give him glory, pick that thing back up. We're talking 10 minutes, he would go and he would count one, two, three, four, five, six, he would set it down again, he would sacrifice he had people dancing. He had people praising. He blew the trumpets. He played in the band. He had everything going. And it wasn't none of this patty cake prayer, patty cake praise stuff. It was real, boisterous praise before God because he knew that nothing short of, of the best would do. And so he went another six more steps. He picked up the Ark of the Covenant and he began to carry it. One, two, three, four, five, six. And he stopped. He did that all the way till he got home. And many people would ask, why was it that he went six steps? Everybody has their speculation, but this is what I believe. The number six rep is the number of man. And David said, I recognize that I'm a man and that he is God. 
and I'm not going to go seven steps. I'm not going to go beyond what my limitations are as a man, but I'm going to recognize that his glory is bigger than my manhood. His presence is bigger than me as a man. And he had an awareness of God's glory to the fact that he said, I know that I can't do the things that God's glory can do. I know that I'm nothing. I'm just a man. I'm just the number six. But he is the number seven, the number of divinity. He is, he is the one who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, and above all I could ask or even think. He's the one who's able to let the Spirit do great and mighty things through me. But I've got to recognize tonight that it's not, it's not me and it's not my own works. It's not my ability, but I'm just a man. So he took six steps. He took six steps. And he began to sacrifice. I'm not sure what happened with the sound. But he took, he sacrificed and he would, he, he danced and they began to bring back the Ark of the Covenant. And you all know the story that when he got there, his, his, one of his wives, Saul's daughter, uh, Michael, she got, she started making fun of him and said, Oh, how undignified are you? And he said, Listen, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'll get more undignified than this. But you see, you've got to recognize that the Ark is much greater than you. The presence of God in your life is bigger than you are. It's better than you are. And I'm closing with this tonight. The glory must be praised and sacrificed for. Every six paces he would stop. Every six paces he would stop and they would have a praise break. And they would shout. And they would sing. And they would thank God for what he was doing. And they would thank God for the presence in their life. They would thank God that His presence was going to be available to them. They would thank God that the battles weren't going to be lost anymore because they were going to be honoring the presence of God and the glory of God in their life. So this is what it takes to bring the glory back home. This is what it takes to bring the glory back into the church, back into the house, and back into your life. Let me recap for you tonight in closing. No new carts. God said, you carry it on your shoulders. You carry my glory. It doesn't get, it's not convenient. We're in a microwave society. Everything fast, everything now, everything easy. The first thing we do if we got something that's heavy is figure out how to make something else carry it. Develop a machine. Develop something that'll make it easier on me. God said, there's no easy way into my glory. It's on shoulders. You can't touch it. You can't, you can't take any credit for what the glory of God does in your life. How many times have we seen powerful singers that started in church? Do you know Whitney Houston got her start in the church? Whitney Houston was a powerfully anointed singer by God for the gift of the gift of God was on her life to sing and sing for his praises and his glory. But she turned and she put her hand on the anointing. She put her hand on the presence of God and said, I'm going to take this for myself. You can't take it. And we must always be aware that the presence of God is bigger than us. We've got to be aware of it. We're carrying it on our shoulders. We're not touching it. We're not putting our our stamp on it. And we're aware that it's bigger than us. Stand to your feet with me tonight.